This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. As we cope with the pandemic, federal government spending seems like a bottomless pit. And Canadians of most political persuasions seem to agree we need support to make it through a crisis not of our own making. Now, taking a look at the most comprehensive measure alone, the CERB, so far, or as of June the 4th, 8.4 million people have applied for the benefit, and that's a lot more than the government expected. And that cost $43.5 billion. As I said, that's just to June 4th. And now the question is, will it be extended as some people start to max out? We do have a price tag on that. Another $58 billion. Now, This is on top of benefits for students, seniors, parents, disabled people, as well as the wage subsidy, rent subsidies, wage top-ups for healthcare workers, small business loans, and the list goes on with provinces and municipalities demanding more cash, too. So, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says his government can't begin to add it all up because it's a moving target. Nonsense, says the parliamentary budget officer who believes Canadians deserve and need to have an idea of how much all of this will cost us. What do you think? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome Parliamentary Budget Officer Yves Giroux. Thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure. Well, you've just come up with yet another uh, number, and that is if the serve is extended to the end of the year, it'll cost another $58 billion, correct? Exactly. That was done at the request of a Conservative MP who asked us to cost the, pos- pos- sorry, and the possible potential extension of the CERB. Okay, so it, it's a pretty hefty price tag. Uh, now, in general, the Prime Minister, as I noted, has said, oh, we can't add up the deficit. It's, it's uh, you know, we won't be accurate. What do you think of that argument? Well, it's true that it's very difficult to be accurate when you try to come up with cost estimates, tax receipts, or the federal deficit in these unusual times. But because it's difficult doesn't mean it cannot be done. Um, the Bank of Canada, for example, has estimated a scenario that's optimistic when it comes to economic growth and a pessimistic scenario. So if the bank can estimate or try to estimate economic growth over the remainder of the year, I'm sure the government can do that. And they have the expertise, they have the know-how, and more importantly, They have information that the rest of us, like my office, don't have. We don't know what the plans of the government are going forward. So that's why it would be very helpful for the government to table either a budget, an economic update, or a fiscal update that would give us an indication of how much this pandemic has cost us as taxpayers so far, and what is the government's perspective on the next couple of months 
uh, in terms of what it will cost and what it means for economic growth. Well, the numbers that we saw, which I think are, you know, give or take about a month old, uh, said the deficit will probably, well, it'll be a record for sure, $260 billion. Uh, a lot of... Uh, Costs have been added I, even in the last couple of weeks. Do you have an idea of how much more uh, we've piled on uh, since then? Well, we could do a mathematical addition to that. Uh, but there's also economic news that keeps coming in on a weekly basis. For example, there's a, a slight recovery in the number of jobs. So, so that's good news, and it contributes to reducing the deficit. So um, we're in the process of updating our economic and fiscal scenario, and we should have new numbers by the end of next week. So we're keeping a very close eye on the daily announcements by the government, and we're going to tally that up and include the slightly better than expected economic news to come up with a new estimate by the end of next week. Why is it important? Uh, why should we not just leave it at what the prime minister says? Oh, you know, everything is, is too much in flux. Well, that's a very easy answer. But if we were to abandon the perspective, the broader perspective, then there's a big risk that we could keep on spending without realizing how much we are already in debt. And we need to pause and think as a country, do we really need or want to spend that many billions of dollars on this, on that? Um, when it comes to spending government money, it's always trade-offs. So if you lose the overall picture, you, you lose a sense of perspective. And my fear is that that's exactly what we are at big risk of doing as a country. We're losing any sense of perspective when it comes to spending public money. These days, a billion here, a billion there seems like <laughs> pocket change. It, it, well, adds, it adds it, up to real money, as a famous U.S. senator said. Exactly. And we are into really big money so far. So that's why an update or a budget would put things into perspective, and it would force a significant, serious thinking about what do we want to know to do, and what do we need to do going forward? Uh, I think our debt has now surpassed a trillion dollars. Again, the prime minister has said he's not too worried about it. But what will that do to our ability to do anything but service the debt? Well, and that's the thing that an update would help. It would would help with. So it's it's true that with record low interest rates, it's not that worrisome to have a debt that's significantly higher than it was a couple of months ago. Uh, but the risky thing is that we lose track of the long-term cost of the debt. So a deficit of 250 or $260 billion this year, we can afford it because it was exceptional circumstances. Canadians need help. If these big deficits become the norm, then it's clearly not affordable. And that's why a plan, an update or a budget would help tremendously in giving us an indication as to what the government thinks it needs to do and what the government plans on doing going forward. Does it plan on spending at the same rhythm uh, next year as well and the year after that? 
or does it have a clear plan to return to balanced budgets or very small deficits as we knew them before the pandemic? But right now, the only thing that we have in terms of a sense of direction are the daily announcements by the prime minister and his ministers as to new programs or new additional expenditures. There is no sense of an overall strategy. What makes you think they have an overall strategy? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely nothing, because we have seen nothing so far. So that's that's what worries me a lot, because in the absence of a plan or a plan that's at least released publicly, uh, we can think that there is no plan. I'm hoping I'm wrong on that. There has to be a plan. Uh, But until we see it, we cannot take it for granted that there is indeed a plan. I want to go back to the CERB and the possibility of extending it. You came up with a number of what that would cost to the end of the year. Now, it looks like in in the government's latest bill, which which may or may not be debated today, they are trying to remove the disincentive to work. Because right now, and uh, we've heard from people who uh, have had employees who aren't coming back to work because it's more advantageous for them to collect the CERB. What, what's your take on that? Well, provisions in, in the draft bill that we have heard about would allow the government to impose penalties on those who refuse to go back to work when they can. Um, but the, the, the issue with these uh, provisions is that they need to be applied. So it's, it's a great thing to have. It's a necessary provision, I think, to have in legislation to punish those who abuse government programs. But these also need to be enforced. So I have full confidence that given the resources and the direction from the political masters, CRA officials uh, would have the capacity to enforce these provisions. But um, it's one thing to have these these provisions in place. It's another thing to ensure they are indeed applied and applied uh, vigorously so that there is no abuse. So I think it's a very good, necessary first step to ensure that there's... uh, as little abuse of government programs as as possible, uh, but it also means that we have to put resources into the CRA to ensure that they can enforce these provisions. So that's that's another cost. I mean, I I have no doubt that the CRA can enforce fraud in terms of people being eligible, but but in terms of that 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 line about whether or not you are able to go back to work, I, I, it seems to me like that would be a lot more murky and difficult to, I mean, there, I think there would be a lot of judgment calls involved in that, no? Uh, probably, but there's also these provisions in the Employment Insurance Act, and these, to my knowledge, are enforced, uh, not perfectly, but they are enforced. And they also serve as a deterrent for those who who would otherwise abuse the system. So knowing that at least there are these provisions that exist will act as a deterrent for at least a couple of thousands of, of people. But right now, as it stands, there's not even these provisions with uh, of significant penalties for those who refuse to uh, to go uh, to go back to work there's even anecdotal uh, anecdotes about people on social assistance who obviously have not worked 
going on the CERB, taking the CERB. And of course, people on uh, on social assistance who have not worked and, and earned uh, the minimum threshold are not eligible for the CERB, but the moment they apply to get it, which is, uh, which is um, nonsense. Well, exactly. I mean, I've heard stories about people who aren't living in Canada who applied for the CERB and got it right away. Yeah. So it it is obviously, I mean, it does seem like there has been a big pivot from, you know, our understanding is that CRA was told to ignore red flags for fraud and just, you know, get the money out the door. And, and now it's like, oh, maybe we need to have a look at this. Yeah, that, well, that was in late March, early April, when the Canadian economy was on the verge of collapse. So it was understandable at that time that people needed money, and those who were unemployed and had lost their jobs, they needed money fast and right away, as much as possible. Now we're in a different world, slightly different world, with the, op- the economy reopening. So now it's, it's time to have a sober second thought about uh, the application of the, uh, the the program and its administration. And it's probably about time that we have some provisions in place to recoup the money that was paid um, either in error or, or through fraud and misrepresentation. And uh, in terms of projections, have you looked at all at what happens to the economy if there is a second wave, which everybody says there will be? Um, not yet. Uh, we haven't looked at that very pessimistic scenario, or, or rather, I should say, it's it's a it's almost a, a given that there will be a second wave. The issue is we don't know how exactly will be the public health response. Will we be more resilient and keep businesses open if there's a second wave, or will we go back to being isolated and and, and going back to confinement? That we haven't looked at that issue. We have assumed a gradual lifting of the uh, lockdown and uh, isolation um, rules over the remainder of the calendar year. So we haven't factored in a, a, a big second wave that would force us down, uh, force us to go back uh, in lockdown and uh, keep us secluded for a couple of more weeks. Um, the finance minister has said that that he's not at all thinking about tax increases. Is that realistic? It's always possible because the the economic crisis was triggered by public health issues. So as soon as the restrictions are lifted and we go back to whatever the new normal is, the economy is expected to recover, not at the same rhythm are, are at the same level as it was uh, uh, was experiencing in February, for example. But things should pick up relatively quickly is, is a big word, but over time, over a couple of quarters, it, things should pick up. And the extraordinary expenses that the government has had to incur, um, as long as programs are really temporary, there won't be a, a need for all these extraordinary expenditures. So lower expenditures, um, tax revenues that pick up. So it's quite possible that there is no need for tax increases. But that assumes that programs that have been announced and created are allowed to sunset as expected, and that the government keeps a very close lid um, or, or, yeah, a very 
tight control over its expenditures. Okay. Anything else you'd like to leave us with? Um, No, I think you've asked all the interesting questions. Okay. Parliamentary Budget Officer Yves Giroux, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. We can take a couple of calls now. And let me give the numbers out again in case you have anything uh, to say about that. The parliamentary budget officer says, uh, you know, the government should be looking at how much this will all cost. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Let's go to Pat here in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Good afternoon. We need to listen to the budget officer. He knows what he's talking about. Unfortunately, so many of our politicians have no financial training, none whatsoever, and or they come from very rich backgrounds. The Minister of Finance is a multimillionaire many times over, the the Prime Minister the same way, and I don't think they really identify with a lot of the basic issues. So we've got to listen to this man, and if we don't go after the fraud then everything will fall apart. And eventually, you know, our Canadian dollar will go down to 40 cents or something like that, or we won't be able to pay pensions. I mean, we've got to have this this one. Okay. Thanks for that, Pat. Let's, let's hear from Giovanni in Brampton. Hi, Giovanni. Yes. Good afternoon in southern Ontario. Nice, sunny, shining day. Yes, the sun as is shining. Third, as a third-generation Zoomer, I understand your guests made a very good, uh, uh, say good things about the budget, about this, about that, because uh, we're thinking about what we have now. Let's not lose what our father and grandfather worked for and leave it to their children, my grandchildren, your grandchildren. And let me say to you this, that we don't give a pension to people coming here and walking down the street and running down the street, well, they didn't work for it. And I hope this money is going to the right place. And every level of government should be accountable for all this money going away. I'm a third the generation emigrant too. And let me tell you, okay. before World War I, my grandfather wants to make better for his family. Okay. Giovanni, thank you. Thank you. Giovanni, I've got to wrap you up. I'm sorry. We have uh, another interview on the line, but thanks very much for your call. Bye-bye. Okay, well, the government may not be ready to disclose all the costs, but it looks like they are taking a stab at reining them in. Now, today, Parliament may or may not be discussing proposed legislations as we talked about, to impose stiff penalties on Canadians trying to defraud the CERB and also to prevent people from choosing to collect the CERB if they have an opportunity to return to work, something that is happening right now. So is this the right way to start getting the economy back on track? The numbers again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And joining me now, Conservative finance critic and MP for Carleton, Pierre Polievre. Hi, Pierre. Good to be with you. Nice to talk to you again. So uh, we've just heard from the parliamentary budget officer. He doesn't 
buy the argument that uh, the government cannot come up with a deficit estimate. Uh, I gather that you agree with that. I do. You know, uh, if the government doesn't know what the deficit numbers are, who does? They're the ones supposedly running the ship here. Uh, And so I'm like the parliamentary budget officer calling on the government to introduce a financial update very least they could do, given that they didn't actually present a budget this spring. The budgets uh, have been introduced in this country for, in every single year for the last four decades. And this will be the first time in my lifetime that there has been no budget. The very least they could do is give us an update, tell us how broke we are, how big the deficit is, and how big they expect it to be over the next half decade. Now, you asked the parliamentary budget officer, uh, your party did, for an estimate of what it would cost to extend the CERB. Uh, that You looked at an extension to the end of the year. I mean, that's being awfully pessimistic to think that it would have to go on that long, isn't it? Well, we're not calling for it to be extended. We, we, we in fact, I think quite the contrary, we're trying to get the educate the government and the public about the enormous costs of keeping these programs permanently in place. Uh, they, they simply can't go on forever. Uh, it is mathematically impossible. Uh, it's not just undesirable for our finances. It's mathematically impossible to keep spending at this rate. Uh, just to put it into perspective, we have added, so far this year, we will add as much to the debt as Justin Trudeau was expected to add if he remained prime minister for 10 more years. So that's just, this is five times bigger than the previous record deficit. Uh, and our government spending is expected to hit $5 trillion a year. Uh, that's without any extension of these benefits. That's at the current projected expenditure rate. So we simply cannot do that. There will We will hit a wall and we will experience a financial crisis if we do not replace government checks with paychecks and get people back to work. Okay. Well, it seems that with this bill that the government wants to debate today and your party doesn't, it looks like they are taking a bit of a stab to rein things in uh, with penalties for people who are defrauding the CERB and also with measures that that would pr- hopefully prevent people from choosing to collect the CERB instead of going back to work. Uh, why aren't you supporting that? Well, we have not uh, opposed it. Uh, we uh, All we're asking for is uh, that the bill come before the House and be debated like any other piece of legislation. But, you know, that we, we demand that even for bills that we enthusiastically support. So open Parliament, introduce the bill like you would on a normal day, and we'll have normal debate of it. And we'll even cooperate to, to see uh, expedition and make sure things are done quickly uh, in light of the circumstances but we're not we're not in the we're, we're not in the business of letting the government go on running the country without any parliamentary accountability into perpetuity okay and how how did they want to introduce it this time i thought that there was a sitting of parliament today no what's happening is uh, that there is a sitting of something called committee of the whole okay yeah so it's it's just a committee you've seen committees on cpac before it's a committee that happens to sit in the physical space of the House of Commons, but it is not the House of Commons. Uh, the mace is not put up on the table between 
the two sides, which is necessary for Parliament to be in session. The normal rules of Parliament are not in place. The normal powers of the opposition to use Parliament to extract governmental information and documents does not exist. Question period does not exist. I could go on. The Parliament is effectively closed, and we have this committee uh, which operates in its place. So we're just saying bring back Parliament. The Prime Minister has shown by his willingness to hold photo ops in the middle of massive crowds of thousands exactly. of people that it's safe for us all to work in together. So, you know, if that's the if that's the public health situation, then it should be the same in the House of Commons. Uh, yeah, um, you had a lot to say about that, that uh, he finds uh, sitting in Parliament more dangerous than attending demonstrations. Yeah, and, and for months he's allowed construction workers to toil away in close physical proximity on Parliament Hill, renovating the centre block. Uh, that went on through March, April, May. We've had essential workers uh, being paid minimum wage, working at shopping at grocery stores, uh, in seniors' homes and other places. Uh, these people's lives are just as precious as the prime minister's, and yet he has been perfectly comfortable letting them work. Uh, yet he believes he should be in a, a nice, comfortable cocoon in his taxpayer-funded cottage with a uh, a press conference. Uh, in front of that cottage, uh, uh, answering only the occasional question from a very supportive uh, press gallery. So I, I, I think it, it, what's clear here is that the prime minister is using public health rules to his political and personal advantage uh, uh, in a way that has nothing to do with the, the virus itself. Well, yeah, I think all politicians <laughs> will um, use whatever to their advantage. Uh, that's part of the game. But uh, just before I let you go, do you think those measures are the right way to rein in the costs of the CERB? I think that if somebody has a safe job to return to, they should go back. I don't think it's justified to, to take uh, a government check when you have paycheck waiting for you. The CERB was meant to replace lost income, not to uh, allow people to avoid working. So I, I don't have a problem with the principle of requiring people whose employers have called them back to go back to work rather than take the CERB. Um, we just want to make sure that these measures are adopted through the normal practice of Parliament and let's get our democracy back. Uh, yeah. Anything else that you want to leave us with on this, Pierre? Well, there's some, some good news. Yesterday, the Finance Committee adopted my motion to give more funds to the Auditor General. The Auditor General has said uh, that she needs proper funding in order to examine all of these enormous expenditures. And uh, yesterday, the Finance Committee adopted a motion to give her those funds so I'm very excited to see uh, the uh, an audit done of all the government's extraordinary spending through this period, in addition to the hundreds of billions of dollars that they've spent or misspent on other issues, uh, so that we might get some accountability. So that's a good, positive development, and I want to build on it. Okay, well, uh, that'll be quite a ways down the road. Thank you so much, Pierre Polyevra. Really appreciate your time. Great to be with you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, before we go to break, let's take a call from Warren in Oshawa. Hi, Warren. Hi, Libby. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Um, I just kind of have to laugh. Like um, any government that cannot say or promise to control their spending or, done, you know, or 
doesn't know where the money's going to go, shouldn't be in government at all. Like, there has to be accountability where all these, uh, your funds are going out to the people to help. I can understand that. But if it leaves the government uh, computer system, there's traceability on it. And let's remember, like, Mr. Trudeau wasn't too concerned with the railroad strike. Now, all of a sudden, he's concerned about uh, people cheating, abusing the Serb system and all that. And this is the same prime minister that gave Fiat Chrysler uh, $7 billion a write-off. Like, there's no accountability. Okay, well, that's what the opposition is saying. Warren, thanks for your call. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.